Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at Fifth Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Today's scripture portion is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 35 to 49. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what do you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to invite Parker up, uh, who is preaching for us this morning. Um, Parker is one of our ministry residents at Christ City Church, and it's just been a joy to, uh, to have him labor alongside of me and the rest of the team at Christ City Church uh, to really uh, sharpen his gifts and to, well, for me to have the opportunity to watch um, the ways that God's been at work in you, Parker, uh, over this past year. Um, I, I'm very, very thankful for this, uh, this man of God, and I'm excited to have uh, him bring the word of God for us. But I want to pray for him as we begin, so let me do that for you now. Um, God, I just pray for Parker that you would equip him and bless him and use him um, to your glory and to our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Brant, and thank you also to the elders for the opportunity to share from God's Word. Um, as you said, my name is Parker, and it's uh, great to be with you. Uh, today we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 to 49. What was read was verses 35 to 49, and, and Brant preached the first half last week, and so I'm taking the second half. But I, I wonder if you've had this experience before. I wonder if you've ever gotten on the wrong bus. I wonder, maybe it's your first time in Vancouver or first time in a new city, and you are waiting for the bus, you are trying to figure out where to go, you check the bus stops, you check your route, and you decide, okay, this is where I'm going to line up. And so you go line up, 
you wait in line and the bus comes, you get on. And as the bus starts going along, you something just doesn't quite make sense. Like you, you expected to pass maybe the Shoppers Drug Mart or or a JJ Bean, but but you pass other stores, you pass other streets, and you're a little confused. You're like, what's going on? Where am I going? And then it dawns on you, picture the moment, it dawns on you that, oh man, I'm going east and I actually need to go west. But at that very moment, you realize that you're going the wrong way, the doors close on the bus, and it proceeds to go to the next stop. And those few moments, you're helpless. Like, you can't do anything. You got to wait for the bus to go to the next stop where you then get off, have to cross the street, wait for the next bus to come. And now, guess what? You are much further away from your destination than when you started, right? Uh, I've had this experience many times. I grew up in a small town. And when I first moved to a big city, I did this many, many times. I'm not going to tell you how many times, but I did it a lot. It's a distressing and jarring feeling, isn't it? Getting on the wrong bus, feeling helpless. Like you're going in the wrong direction. I wonder if you've ever felt that way about your life. Maybe about your job or your family, education or relationships, or maybe lack thereof. That you feel like your life is going in a direction that that you don't want it to go. That you wish you were headed in the other direction. But what if that's true about your life in your bodies? And I mean like your body, like the one that you have right now, like sitting here in these theater seats, like your hands. Move your hands, wiggle your toes, feel your knees, your head, your neck. The body that you have, maybe some of you this morning feel like your body is going in the direction that you don't want it to go. I mean, in the last year, maybe you've aged a little bit. Am I kidding? We've all aged this past year, right? But maybe for you, your aging has been actually a little bit more difficult than you would have expected. That one year ago today, you could bend and move in ways that now would be very risky for you. Or maybe there are foods that you used to be able to digest and eat that you enjoyed, and now they just cause lots of trouble. Maybe your memory is not what it used to be. You used to be sharp and quick with your to-do lists and your tasks, and today you just seem to forget everything. You feel stuck. You're headed in the direction that you don't want to go. Well, if you do, then join the club. This is a a normal part of human existence. And maybe some of you who are young or in a season of life, you don't exactly feel this. But if you're honest, you know that there will come a day, maybe tomorrow, where you'll wake up and your body's doing something that you don't want it to do. See, there's nothing that we can do to stop our bodies from wearing down as we approach death, as we approach decay. I mean, we might be able to slow the bus down. There are medical treatments and there are doctors and we praise God for that. We can slow the bus down, maybe, but the bus still is going towards decay and death for all of us. And so is there really nothing that can be done? Is there really nothing that can be done? You see, the Christian faith doesn't actually offer something to avoid death per se, but the Christian faith actually does give us a hope through death. The Christian faith gives us a hope that transcends death. The Christian faith gives us a hope of life after death that's a much better life than what we have right now. See, this portion of Scripture, chapter 15 of the letter to the Corinthians, written by Paul, is dealing with the resurrection of Jesus. We've seen that. Paul's dealing with generally the category that resurrection is possible. And Paul is arguing, we've seen already, that the literal, historical, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ that happened is the foundation of the Christian faith. 
that to believe in that at its core is central to what it means to be a Christian. If you don't believe that or affirm that, then there is no faith there that's on a foundation. But Paul is also saying that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a foundation, but it actually is our destiny. It actually is our hope. It's the direction we're going. Because he's saying that if Christ has been resurrected from the the dead, then so will we. All those who put their faith in Jesus will one day be resurrected from the grave. But the problem, as I've already shown, is that we're stuck on this bus going in the wrong direction. That there are some problems, and that problem is death and decay. See, Paul is showing here in verses 42 to 49 that there is a a seemingly impossible transformation that can happen. A seemingly impossible transformation of life after death that can happen through the resurrected Jesus. And it's a transformation that makes us like him. And so today we're going to look in our Bibles at those three things. The first, a seemingly impossible transformation. Second, that happens through the resurrected Jesus. And third, makes us like him. So if you're ready, grab your Bibles. Look with me at verse 42. Paul says here, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Last week, if you if you were here, you heard that Brant preached through this plant metaphor. Just look up at the verses above, and, and Paul is using this metaphor of a seed, actually. A seed that is planted in the ground and is transformed into a new life, like a tree or a plant. And he uses it to show this transformation. A seed is essentially the same. It's the same DNA as the tree, but it's totally different. It involves a death in the ground and a rising to new life. And that's actually why Paul uses the metaphor. It's not just about the transformation, but it's about the literal. Burying of a body in the ground depicts the rising again of new life. That that is what we are going to have. That is what the Christian hope is. And he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Look with me. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. This it are our bodies. Verse 44. It is sown a natural body. See, there it is. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there also is a spiritual body. Did you catch it? Did you catch the seemingly impossible transformation of perishing to imperishing? Of weakness to power? Of dishonor to glory? Like, it's seemingly impossible because there's nothing that I can do And I'm sure you would agree, there's nothing that you can do to make yourself come alive after death. There's absolutely nothing that we can do. But Paul is saying this transformation goes from weakness to power, from from perishable to imperishable. See, those words, he's he's not just talking about the imperishable section of the grocery store or the the perishable foods that you might buy. Um, He's talking about a changing trajectory. I mean, think about it. You go to the grocery store, you buy some vegetables, and uh, they're on a one-way trajectory either into your body for food, or if they stay in your fridge or on the shelf, they're going to rot. They're going to go bad. Uh, Perishing is a downward trajectory. Perishing is not neutral. If something is perishing, it is going bad. Something that's imperishable, however, is entirely different. Something that's imperishable is on an upward trajectory. Something that will not ever die again. Something that will be preserved forever. That's what Paul's talking about. Our life after death will be preserved and imperishable. You see those next words there, it's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. See, the words that Paul has here are about shame or embarrassment. 
something that needs to be hidden. I mean, maybe some of us feel that way about our bodies, that there are shameful things maybe that we've done with our bodies or we feel ashamed about our bodies, how they look or how they function or rather how they don't look or how they don't function. Maybe some of us feel that way. And Paul is saying that, that after death, that shame is gone, that that embarrassment is dealt with. It's put aside. And instead, it's not just a wiping away of shame. It's not just a wiping away of dishonor. We're not just going back to ground zero, but you see it. It's being endowed with glory. It's being given glory. The, the, the word that Paul uses there is all about this radiance, this magnificence, this splendor, this, this weightiness that, that has a uniqueness to it that just shines brightly. That is the hope of the resurrected life in glory. And if that wasn't enough, Paul then goes on to say it's raised, sown in weakness, but raised in power. And you and I know this. You and I know this. There are so many things that we encounter in our daily lives that we can't do. There are physical weights that you can't pick up at the gym. You have to be careful how, how much to load your grocery bags at the store. You have to be careful once your kids reach a certain age, you can't pick them up and throw them around. Our bodies are weak. There are diseases that run through our DNA that come at us from the world that will take over us one day. And you know this. You just know people in your life who've, who've had this or perhaps are going through this. Our bodies are weak. There are things in life guaranteed that every single one of us will encounter that we cannot overcome. And yet the marvelous thing is somehow this transformation can happen where there once was weakness, there is power. It's a seemingly impossible transformation. But what does this raising look like? That's kind of some vague characteristics, but let's put some specifics on it. Look look with me. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. What does that mean? What's a spiritual body? Well, as I said, this is about being made into the image of Christ. And so if we look at the narratives of Jesus after he was raised from the dead tells us a lot about what this resurrected body's like. See, when Jesus was raised from the grave, uh, John, in his letter, records for us that Mary Magdalene was one of the first ones to see him. And believe it or not, she didn't recognize him. And it wasn't that he had a totally different appearance, but in fact, he, she got him confused for the gardener. Like, Jesus was very human. He didn't look very different. He had two legs, two hands, two feet, a head, a torso, all that. It was all connected like normal. And she thought, this is just some guy. And she goes to ask him, where's the body of, of Jesus? And then she reveals, actually, I'm him. And then, and then it goes on. Jesus actually had flesh. Like, maybe you remember this. Thomas was doubting. He did, I don't believe unless I see it myself. And, and Jesus said, okay, here are my hands. Holes in my hand. Here's my side. Hole in my side. You know that they wounded me this way. You touch it, Thomas. So Thomas goes up, he touches it, and it says, my Lord and my God. Wow, you're real. And when the disciples continued to doubt, Jesus said, you know, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. And at that point, the disciples probably thought, oh, he's right. Like, he's not just some weird spirit. Like, we can see him. We can talk to him. The resurrected Jesus was able to shout. He could breathe. His friends were on a boat and he was on shore and he called to them, called them over for breakfast. In fact, he made that breakfast. Resurrected Jesus made a campfire. He cooked fish, cooked bread, ate it with them, talked with them, walked on the road, all these very, very normal human things. So that's what it means to have a spiritual body. But, but at the same time, at the same time, the resurrected Jesus also 
appeared suddenly in a room. And he also suddenly disappeared from the room. He suddenly vanished while walking on a road with his friends. I mean, think about it this way. A spiritual body. If you have an electric car, you know this to be true. An electric car doesn't, uh, is not built out of electricity, right? You know that. An electric car just runs on electricity. And in the same way, a spiritual body is still a body. But a spiritual body is fully endowed and enlivened and empowered by the Spirit. So Jesus in his resurrected body was nothing less than physical, very similar, very recognizable, just like we have, but he was more than that. Wasn't more in a sense that he was um, this, this, this immaterial being, very material, but he transcends the limits of humanity. Jesus was very human, so that's what it means to have a spiritual body. And so it will be with us. It's still a body, but it's empowered by the Spirit. So the Christian hope is not about becoming an angel. It's not about becoming a bodiless spirit or some weird existence. I mean, maybe you've heard that way, heard that. It's a very common understanding in Christian circles, but that's not where the Christian hope is going towards. The Christian hope is going towards having physical bodies that are fully empowered by the Spirit. And by the way, we're not going to be in heaven. We're going to be on the new earth. Like, that's good. That's really good that we will have bodies that will not perish, that will have glory, and that we will have power never ever to die again. Isn't that something that you want? Isn't that something that we all want? I mean, isn't it something that our world wants? But the problem is that there are problems in the way because our life right now is crippled by pain, crippled by illness, crippled by sickness. We know this. We've got a mortality and our downward trajectory towards death is something that is unavoidable. I see it in my own family. I could rattle off here uh, half a dozen people who I know who have genetic disorders that are slowly slowly destroying their body that will one day kill them. People who've had suffered tremendous uh, brain injuries and their lives have been altered because of it. Um, people who have a brain tumor just recently diagnosed that is untreatable. Um, people who are suffering because they don't like the way their body looks and they're caught under the weight of that. I mean, that's just me. I mean, you guys are you. Surely you know people, maybe that's some of you right now, who know what that's like. You see it firsthand. Now, it's a good thing that millions of dollars every year and lots of human time and effort is put into trying to fix some of those things. It is a really good thing. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about how Christians, we are to care about human life and flourishing in the here and now. But here's the point. It never will be enough. I mean, as much money can go into cancer research, people will still every year die from cancer. As much as we would like to see that there is restoration that can come after war or natural disasters, and we praise God when that happens, there always will be those kinds of things. Our mortality, human death, is something that will always get in the way. It can never give us what we want of a perfect life. We'll never be able to do enough. You know, that's actually what uh, Oscar Schindler said. You know the movie Schindler's List? Anybody heard of it? Uh, Schindler's List, it's a movie um, uh, detailing the story uh, of, uh, of a guy named Oscar Schindler. He was uh, a Nazi and uh, in Germany, but he was one of the good guys on the inside. And he saved uh, over a thousand Jews from being exterminated. He, he saved them. And in the movie, the highlight of the movie is where Oscar Schindler has to leave. And he's surrounded by hundreds of people 
like he's looking them in the face and hundreds of people who who would have been dead if it wasn't for him. They're thanking him for his efforts. And what does he say? He says, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. And he frantically takes the buttons off of his jacket and says, here's money to save one more. And here's more money to save another one. He's saying, I didn't do enough. And, and he did a lot, but he's right. Because there were millions and millions of other people who were killed from the very thing that he was trying to rescue them from. It was a great thing that he did, but he didn't do enough. The point is, friends, is that everything we do in our lives to live a little longer, to squeeze out a few more years, will ultimately be fruitless. I'm not diminishing them. I think there's a lot the Bible says about living healthy lives, about caring about human flourishing now, about relieving people from poverty, about all of those things. The Bible has a lot to say about that, but Christian hope, authentic Christian hope, looks at those things and says, we can't do enough. We won't do enough, and that is why we all need faith in Jesus, because Jesus alone has done enough, that he can make this seemingly impossible transformation from something that is perishing to something that is imperishing. But why Jesus? Why does Jesus do this? How can he do this if nobody else can? It's made possible because of the resurrected Jesus, our second point. This seemingly impossible transformation is made possible because of the resurrected Jesus. Look with me in your Bibles again, verse 45 and 46. Thus it is written, quote, The first man, Adam, became a living being, end quote. The, sec- the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. See, Paul is quoting here from uh, Genesis, the first book of the Bible records the creation of humanity. In the, in the be- beginning of this story, the biblical humani- humanity sorry, begins with this biblical figure named Adam. That Adam was this person created by God and then Eve. And it says that God breathed into Adam and he became a life-giving being. And we all share in Adam's existence that we all are alive. Every human is alive because in some way, I don't fully understand it, uh, that we all have the breath of God in us, sustaining us. That's what it means, that the first man, Adam, became a living being. And then Paul says this last Adam. What does he mean by that? Well, that, that's a term that's used to refer to Jesus, that Jesus is the last Adam. He's talking about Jesus in his human existence. Now, he's, now let me be clear. He's not saying this. He's not saying there was Adam in the Bible and then Jesus is the last Adam as though Jesus is the last human to ever live. He's not saying that. We know that because we are alive today after Jesus has lived and died and lived again. So he's not saying that this is the end of humanity, but what he's saying is that Jesus issued in the last type of humanity or the last degree of humanity. See, because Jesus was raised in the spiritual body. See, we all share with Adam natural bodies. We're, we're made of dust. Adam was made of dust. You and I are made of dust as well. When our bodies decay, they will go back to dust. We're dusty people. But Jesus, Jesus has this spiritual body. Like I said, a body that's fully empowered by the Spirit, still very human. And so Paul is saying here, there are two tracks of human existence. There's natural and spiritual. The first Adam, everybody shares in it. And the second one, Jesus' nature, only share in it if we are united to him in faith. But notice this, that, that Jesus, after he died and rose again, he has this imperishing life. Jesus doesn't just hold this life for himself, does he? 
You see what the text says? It says that he became what? A life-giving spirit. Spirit there is just referring to a whole being, very physical still. But he became a life-giving spirit. Like, did you catch that? Did you catch that the resurrected Jesus gives life? Like, he gives it to us. He gives it to us. He gives us life. He gives us the kind of life that he has. He's not selfish, but he's abundantly generous in giving this life to everybody who chooses to believe in him and base their entire life around him. Jesus, only in Jesus can human life get a brand new trajectory after death, a trajectory that is towards eternity, future, a bus that finally is going in the direction that we all want, A life of imperishing, a life physically in bodies with him in the new heavens and the new earth. So he gives it to us free of price. Gives it to us free of price. Everybody who's thirsty, everybody who's hungry, come. When you have empty pockets and you can't afford to buy it, that you get it. That Jesus gives it to you. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me offer this to you. This hope can be yours. You're not instantly going to get a brand new body today, but faith in Jesus means that this hope of a resurrected life after death will be yours. And so let me offer that to you today, that you can enjoy this seemingly impossible transformation through the resurrected Jesus. But what more can we say about this? What more can we say? That's still kind of a little bit vague, but what more can we say? Well, we can say, as Paul says, that we will be made like him, our third point of the morning. We will be made like him. Look back at your Bibles, verse 47 to 49. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. I mean, in its own, that's kind of a boring statement, right? Like, as was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. He's like saying, um, it's like he says, uh, as was the Canadian, so are all the Canadians, right? Or as was the bicycle, so was all the bicycles. Like, it's a pretty boring statement, right? Like, one specific to the general category. But in context, this is really glorious. And so, and as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. See, Paul's writing to this ancient church and he's telling them there are two tracks of human existence, as I've already alluded to. Human that are natural and spiritual humanity that is coming. We all start on the one track that's headed towards decay and death because of sin in the world. That's what it means to be of dust. But the other track, this other mode, this other degree, this other type of human existence, the one that Jesus inaugurated, Jesus initiated, and Jesus has now, is spiritual. It's fully empowered by the Spirit, transcending all of death and all of sin. And so the point is that if we put faith in Jesus, then we will be made like this man of heaven, that we will be made like Jesus. That doesn't mean that we'll actually be Jesus ourselves. It doesn't mean that we'll be Jesus point 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0 or that we'll be gods. It's not the point. The point is that we'll morally be like Jesus, that we'll be perfect, that we'll be sinless, spotless, sanctified, powerful over death, powerful over sin. 
beyond the power of the grave. So we don't become gods ourselves, but we reflect his image. We become perfect. And it's in that perfection of actually being who God has always intended humans to be, of living his ways, of loving him and enjoying him, that we enjoy full and perfect flourishing that is unparalleled and can't be compared to anything else. This is good news. And it really does matter for us, friends. It really does matter for us because it tells us this. It tells us that if in this life we try to create an identity for ourselves by the things that we do, this tells us that we actually don't have to do that. See, some of us today might be burdened by having to make a name for ourselves. Might be burdened by having to get the next job that pays a little bit more so that you can move to a nicer postal code so that you could maybe buy something on this very expensive earth, uh, or to, 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 to you name it. You're trying to make a name for yourself, trying to gain some kind of a, a reputation. And that's exhausting. And maybe some of us actually just jump from, from group to group, and, and maybe this church is just the next group you've tried to jump to. You're trying to figure out who you are, trying to create some kind of identity, and that's exhausting. It's tiring. But what this tells us is that we can have an eternal hope that's given to us. It's secured for us. See, there are other ways of thinking. I mean, life after death is not unique in its own to Christianity because there are a lot of things out there. Maybe you have some bouncing around in your head. There are a lot of things out there that tell us that, sure, if you live a good enough life now, you can come back in some other form of existence. But generally, the problem with those kinds of thinking is that you don't know what you're going to end up like. You don't know if you've done it enough to be good or not. You don't know if your life is going to be better than this or not. And that's terrifying. That's scary. Forget about whether we claim that's true or not. That's not good. That's not a good thing to believe. That puts a heavy, heavy weight on us. And with Jesus, that weight can come off of our shoulders and we can rest completely in him and what he gives us and what he's done for us. But maybe that's not you. Maybe maybe you're not concerned about making a name for yourself because you're concerned about getting through a day. Maybe, maybe you're most concerned about making through another week and another month. That every morning you wake up and you're able to put your two feet on the ground, you say, thank you, Lord, I'm here. Uh, and maybe on your worst days, you just wish that you weren't here. You wish that the anxieties that you have, the things that you face, the constant onslaught of responsibility and expectation, you just wish it would all go away. And you wish it would all be gone. If that's you, if your body's racked with disability or pain or some kind of genetic disorder that you know is going to take your life one day, if that's you, let me offer you this. A non-condemning place to rest in Jesus that Jesus gives you a hope so that those things that you are experiencing right now will not have the final say about you. They certainly might overcome you in bringing you to the grave and taking your life from you, but they are not going to be the final note. That the anxieties that you have won't define you. That the, that the dysphoria you might feel about who you are as it pertains to your body and your sexuality is not going to define you. It doesn't need to define you. But instead, that we can just rest and receive in Jesus a life that is imperishing, a life where all of this pain, 
all of the difficulties that we experience here and now will be gone. It's all because Jesus has been resurrected from the grave. Look with me at 1 John 3, 2. It says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. I don't know if you know this, but a moon, our moon doesn't have its own glory. Our moon is not a source of light. But the moon does shine brightly at night because it reflects the sun. And in the same way, we will reflect the image of Jesus because we will see him in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, in all of his bodily radiance and power. We will see him and we shall be like him. And that's our destiny. That is where the Christian life ultimately is going. And nothing, not even death, can take that away from us. And if that's our destiny, that means that it changes the way that we live now. I mean, think about it. You ever been on a road trip? The trip towards your vacation spot is much better than the trip back home, right? Like when you're going on vacation, you're excited. You're, 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 you're really eager to get going, get through the traffic and to go to the vacation spot. Well, when you go home, it's like, oh, I'm just going home. Hey, maybe if you're like me and you're introverted, maybe you actually like going home, but that's, that's besides the point. The point is, is that the, this hope of the resurrected life in Jesus gives us a kind of en route living. It gives us something to do now. It changes the way that we can live. And, and there's lots of the Bible says about that, but let me just say this one thing here. It tells us that we can face the things that will waste us away with a new hope. In Paul's uh, next letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about this inward renewal. He says, though our outer selves are wasting away, we are being renewed day by day. It's because if you have faith in Jesus, you've received the spirit as the down payment, a bit of an appetizer of what's to come, a foretaste, the first fruits of what that life is going to be like. That is an inner life that gets to be renewed day by day in knowing the joy and love of Christ for you. That you can say, my outer self is wasting away. And as hard as it is, as honest as we are about it, we can say, that's okay. This is not going to have the final note in my life. That we will be renewed day by day. So friends, these new resurrected bodies, this Christian hope, let me humbly and boldly say before you, this is the best news you will ever hear in your life. This is the best news that has ever, ever been proclaimed on the face of the earth. That there's nothing greater because Jesus provides this seemingly impossible transformation unto life after death where we get to be like him. In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And that means our physical lives on the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus. Friends, this news is so good, it's worth staking your whole life on it. So let's do that. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have been resurrected from the grave, that you appeared bodily, and that you will bring us to that same hope. Thank you that you are with us through the Spirit, that you are renewing us day by day, that the things that we go through in this life won't define us. Help us to believe in this hope and to be renewed today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.